Here we go. He's here. Okay. Okay. Tina, <laughs> do not make me laugh. Uh, okay. You gotta laugh, you know? Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're talking with Andy Hunter, founder and CEO of Bookshop.org. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? I am good. Yes, me too. I'm, you know, just living the dream, trying to fit in all my reading with all my jobs and things. But, you know, <laughs> this is my this is my happy place, is recording with you and, and reading and finding books to read. So how's your reading been? My reading is recovering after yes. COVID, which is good mm-hmm. news because that is good it news. was I felt that it was broken after the year of the locust combined with COVID. I really for a few days thought my reading was broken. Now I did read the Vegas book, the um the nonfiction James Patterson. So I I will clarify that by saying I thought my fiction reading was broken. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm coming back this week coming back. Sounds good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Also excited for you all to hear our interview. Andy was so interesting to talk to. We had a blast and he was so, we lo- when we have guests, we don't have a lot of them, but we like to invite them to the book talk, et cetera, fold. So he's mm-hmm. got a loving lately and two of his latest reads and he's such an interesting person and I am more motivated now than ever to just partner with bookshop.org and make sure that we're linking to them where we can. So take a listen. We're excited to chat with him and... We hope you enjoy it too. Hey everyone, today we're so excited to welcome Andy Hunter to Book Talk, etc. Andy is the founder and CEO of something I know our listeners are very familiar with, bookshop.org. Andy is also the co-creator and publisher of the websites Literary Hub, Crime Reads, and Bookmarks, and co-founder and chairman of Electric Literature. His focus is keeping literature a vital part of our culture in the digital age, and we're so excited to speak with him. Andy, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, I second the welcome. Um, since there's two of us, we we just go back and forth, Andy. All right. Yes, and I tend to take the lead because, you know, I'm the, the bossy one, but we will start <laughs> our show kind of the way we always do. And for our listeners, we always start things off with something we've been loving lately, and it can be a TV show, podcast, app, product, anything really that we've been enjoying, whether or not it's book related. Andy, did you bring a loving lately to the show? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure how how well known this show is. I think it has a cult following that's very familiar with it, but I just discovered it recently, which is a show on HBO called How To with John Wilson. And John Wilson is like a very laconic, kind of, you know, quiet, slow talking guy who is just wandering. It, it, he gives the appearance of just sort of wandering through and exploring his subject matter, which is usually like some obscure feature of New York City. But his investigations kind of spiral into 
strange places that you would never expect. He still like goes through it with this strange monotone observations, but he'll start off like discovering something about scaffolding and then end up at a scaffolding convention and then end up like in the bedroom of one of the attendees of the scaffolding convention talking about something like super personal. And it's just a a really extremely interesting and original show. And I I love the approach. I think it's probably not going to be for everyone, Um, but it's like perfect for me because I love weird things and I love uh, investigations into obscure things. And I love unique characters and I love New York City and the show has all those things. Yeah, that sounds perfect. That sounds like something Renee would love, a rabbit hole. (laughs) I was just thinking everything you just said, I love. You know who else I bet would love this, Tina? John. Tina's husband, John, is our editor. I feel like John would love that too. He loves sort of quirky, you know, just the the, the more niche, the better. Sometimes I'm like, what are you watching? Where did you find this? Thank you for sharing that. I've never heard of it. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't heard of it either. Okay, I will jump in and share my Loving Lately today. And this Loving Lately is thanks to a recommendation from our Patreon Saturday What Are You Loving Lately post. It's called Recipe Keeper App. And I had never heard about this. And I have been having so much fun just trying out this app. I'm in the early stages, but what this is, is an all-in-one recipe organizer shopping list and meal planner. Once you download it, you can use it across all your devices. So you can add your own recipes. But what I especially love is you can import recipes from websites, or you can snap a photo of a recipe from a book or a magazine. You can also use it to add recipe ingredients to your shopping list. What I've been doing so far is importing recipes from websites. Inevitably, every time I go to make my pan-seared salmon, I have to pull it up on the website and I have to scroll all the way down past the history of the web, of the, past all the ads. And so this allows you just to put the recipe into the app and, oh, I'm having a lot of fun with this. So that is the Recipe Keeper app. I love a good recipe app. I use AnyList, which I think sounds quite similar, but yeah, same idea. I I can't go on the websites because they're so long. I'm like, I just want the ingredients. What do I need? Um, and it's it's funny, Renee, I, you're on the same page or we're on the same page. I have an app as well. I think this is very popular for those that know about it. I just found out about it. It's called Forest Focus for Productivity. You know this. I, I just recently found out about this. Okay. So this is a productivity app and I'm a multitasker. I have to be. And it's very hard for me to stay focused sometimes. I have a newborn. She's two months old at this point and a three-year-old. So there's a lot going on in my house. But I love this because when you want to focus on a specific task, if it's work, studying, reading, housework, whatever it is, you start kind of a timer in this app and it plants a tree for you. And while you stay focused on the task that you set, this little tree grows. And if you end up leaving the app, your tree dies. And what's fun is you kind of get to see your little forest grow. And it's just this odd gamification of productivity. And it's a reward system for staying on task, which again, is something I definitely need. You don't have to do it forever, a little 15 minutes of focus, 20 minutes here and there. And the best part, and I think this is so cool, is that the forest team partners with a real tree planting organization called Trees for the Future to plant real trees on earth. And I 
I just love that. It was free for a while. I think it's $4 now, but it's very much worth the download. So I wanted to bring that to our listeners. It's the app Forest Focus for Productivity. Good one. I can't believe you knew about it and didn't tell me. Well, you know why? I have downloaded it, but I haven't used it yet. Oh, gotcha. I'm afraid to kill my tree. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be in the right mindset. (laughs) Uh, Andy, have you heard of either of these apps? I haven't, but I like the idea of Forest. And my 12-year-old daughter recently, she started a new school. She got a phone for the first time, which Mm. I have mixed feelings about. Yeah. And she's struggling with procrastination. And she came up to me the other day and was like, I have this idea for this anti-procrastination app. And she tried to convince me that I should like drop everything I'm doing and build an app with her and become an app entrepreneur or help her become an app entrepreneur. But in any case, it is like a focus anti-procrastination app. So I think that this this sounds really good. And it sounds like something that maybe she could play around with and keep her focused on her homework and off of, um, you know, Instagram or wherever she's tempted to go to. Exactly. And I think specifically, like it's avoiding scrolling on your phone because once you scroll away from the app, that's what happens. So she's on to something, though. She sees you starting up all this stuff and she's like, I want in on it. (laughs) Well, yeah, with that, Annie, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. First, if you could just tell us what inspired you to create bookshop.org and why you feel it's important. Yeah. Well, I have been in the book industry since about 2009. Before that, I always cared about writing and I did a lot of journalism and magazine publishing and things like that. And before that, I was building systems for like Disney and MGM on the technology side. So I had this weird background of technology and publishing, but I really love literary writing and wanted to write a novel. I still do. And that's what I really cared about. And I just kind of watched as Amazon ate the world of books Mm -hmm. and started off like at 5% of books sold. And in the beginning, you know, I was interested in Amazon. I was not an anti-Amazon person at all. But as it became bigger and bigger, and I watched as so many bookstores went out of business from the past 15 years, about half of the bookstores in the country have gone out of business. And at the same time, Amazon has grown to over half of the books being sold in the US. By most estimates, six out of 10 books sold in the US are just sold by Amazon. And I was publishing books. I was a small press publisher. I was also started a couple of websites that deal with literary culture and books like Literary Hub and Electric Literature. I just kept waiting for something else to come to counter Amazon and nothing did. Like I know some some people like Amazon, especially self-published writers or people that have economic constraints, so financial constraints or who live in very remote areas. So I'm not completely knocking Amazon, but even if you think that Amazon's good for you personally, it's really not good to have one player take up and control the entire market for something as precious and culturally important as books because they have way too much power. So Bookshop kind of came around in 2019. I did the math and and I projected Amazon's growth and they're growing about 8% a year. And I'm like, okay, that means by 2026, 80% of all books are going to get sold by Amazon. And at that point, there's going to be no bookstores, like there's going to be maybe 200 bookstores left in the country. Like they're all going to go under and e-commerce is growing at like 15% year over year. So more and more people are buying stuff online and we can't fight that trend either. So something has to happen to help these local independent mom and pop bookstores get online and start competing with Amazon and allow people who love books a way that they can support their local bookstore when they're buying books online. And so that was why I started Bookshop. I love your origin story. Andy, I've listened to 
a couple of your interviews. And I mean, the pandemic just so happened to really spur bookshop.org on. Is that correct? Yeah, it's absolutely correct. I thought it was like consumer habits. When in, I thought there was a lot of urgency because once a consumer has a buying habit, it's really, really hard to change them. So I thought, wow, if like half people are buying books on Amazon, then that means half of book readers are not buying books on Amazon. And so we need to launch this thing as fast as possible so we can establish it as an alternative. And so I felt this huge urgency after it took me about a year to raise money for a bookshop because nobody believed it had a chance of success. <laughs> it even turned out that later on, my investors didn't even really believe it was going to be successful, but they were like, oh, well, we'll at least give it a try. So it took a long time to raise money. And then I built it as fast as we could. We built it in seven months. We built it so fast because I thought we can't even let another year pass for Amazon grows another 8% and squeezes bookstores even more. Then we launched in January 28th, 2020, six weeks later, the pandemic hit. And honestly, if we had launched even a month later, we wouldn't have been ready to meet the demand that happened when the pandemic hit. Because because of the pandemic, these local bookstores that had not, most of them didn't even have websites at all. Suddenly they had to close their doors. They couldn't have their employees come in. There was no way to, for their customers to support them. They had to sell books online or else they were going to go to business. And so we onboarded over a thousand bookstores in the month of April. And we only had four employees. We were staying up until 11 o'clock or midnight and getting up at 5 a.m. I had a day job as well. And we were homeschooling. I was homeschooling my kids because, you know, there was remote learning. They were all kicked out of school. So it was the most crazy time. But it was really fortunate that we launched when we did, because we were able to help so many stores survive. And there are literally hundreds of stores out there in the U.S. and like another few hundred in the U.K. who say that they wouldn't have made it through the pandemic if it hadn't been for, for bookshops. So it was a real trial by fire. And it definitely like without the pandemic, we would have had a much slower growth story. I, I still like to think we would have succeeded, but the pandemic certainly lit a fire under all of it. It was meant to be. That timing is impeccable. My goodness. It really feels almost faded. Like I'm not, I'm more of an agnostic, you know, not a huge faith based person. But when I think about why, because I, I was trying to raise $1.2 million. That's what I thought was the minimum I would need to compete with Amazon. It's really hard to compete with Amazon. It's hard to build a big e-commerce marketplace. It's not, it sounds like a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money when you're really trying to compete with Amazon. But I couldn't raise that much money and I only ended up raising 750,000. And I remember just being like, screw it. Like, even though that means I'm not going to have barely any money in the bank when this launches and I don't know how I'm going to make it work. And it's like the biggest risk I've ever taken and it'll probably fail. But I'm like, I have to at least try to take a shot at the Death Star and we're just going to do it anyway. And I felt this like complete conviction that even though I hadn't raised enough money and I didn't know how it was going to work. And like at that rate, like almost nothing could go wrong because there was no padding. We did it anyway. And now when I look back on that and I think like, why was I so driven to do that? I had a comfortable day job. Like it wasn't like it, it does seem almost like faded that there was some, something was pushing me to do it. Mm -hmm. 
And what incredible success too. I mean, I was, it's wonderful because I know I had an account in 2020. Like I remember being in the hospital with my daughter actually, and I ordered a book from the hospital off bookshop. Don't know why. I guess I was looking for something to do, but I remember what, what I love about the website is at the very top, every purchase donates money to local bookstores. And I just saw the number grow and grow and grow and grow. Now it's something like is it 29 million plus? We just hit 29 million. Gosh, yeah, that was another know. thing that was really risky. And in the beginning, people were like, you don't want to put that up there because it'll be embarrassing. Like people will like judge you every day. And if it's slow to take off, people are going to think that you failed. Some people even advised me to inflate it. Mm. So that it looked like we were successful, the old fake it till you make it idea. But we never faked it. And in the beginning, it was a little embarrassing. Like the first month, we raised $50,000. I thought that was a big success, but I heard criticism online, some criticism online saying like, oh, doesn't seem like Bookshop is doing that well. It's only earned 50000 Like That was the first month. The second month, it was over a million. So it didn't take very long for that to pay off, that ticker, but it really made, it does make people happy. It makes people mm-hmm. happy to see they're actually making a difference with every purchase. And that's what it's all about. Like it's all about, telling people like you're building the future that you're going to live in, that your kids are going to live in with every choice that you make and how you choose to buy your books. You're deciding if you're going to live in a future with bookstores on main streets in communities all over the country or, or not. It, yeah. It makes people feel good to see that ticker go up. And that was ended up being a, a great choice. Mm-hmm. As I was listening to you talk, Andy, I know a lot of our listeners understand and know about bookshop.org, but there's probably many who don't know about it. Can you can you tell our listeners why bookshop.org is so important and explain a little about how you're a plan B corporation? Where's their money going when they choose to perhaps pay, you know, three or four dollars or five dollars more for a book with bookshop.org than maybe they would pay on Amazon. Yeah. I like to think most of the times it's not $3 or $5 more, but for a brand new hardcover, for a new release, it could be like that. For like a paperback, it's probably only a dollar more than Amazon. Sometimes we beat Amazon, but rarely. But the reason, well, first of all, Bookshop gives 80% of our profits to local bookstores. So they're really, we're a very lean team. And we stay that way because the purpose of the company as a B corporation, that means that your mission is more important than profit and that you're doing it for the public good. And for us, the public good is like local bookstores are really good for a number of reasons. They're really activists and advocates for the importance of books in all their communities. And they work with schools, they work with businesses, they bring authors to to town. They're a great way for emerging writers to gain a following and fan bases and, and get word of mouth, which wouldn't happen if bookstores weren't around and they're staffed by like the best people on earth, like people who decide that they love books so much, they just want to be around books and recommend books to people, which is amazing. So that's our mission and our public benefit is to help those stores. And that's why we exist. Now, when we looked at like why bookstores weren't online and why bookstores couldn't compete with Amazon, there's like all these details. Like, first of all, a bookstore is never going to have the inventory Amazon has, right? The bookstore is 1500 square feet. They're not going to have all the books in stock that Amazon has in stock with like millions and millions of warehouse spots. And they're, you know, not necessarily the budget or skills to build like a really nice e-commerce shop or to make sure that customer service is great. 
and it's expensive and it takes time and to bring all those books to the post office and, and everything else and make sure that people get like shipping notifications. So most bookstores couldn't do that. So the idea behind Bookshop was, what if we did all that for them? And we partnered with a wholesaler that had millions of books in stock and so that they could match Amazon and inventory and could also turn a book around in 24 hours so that the orders could arrive almost at the same time as Amazon can get them. Amazon can maybe get them to you a day earlier, but we can get a book to somebody in two to three days. And we file the sales taxes for the stores. We do all the customer service for any lost or missing orders or damaged orders. We do that all for the stores. And so suddenly all these reasons that a store bookstore couldn't really go online, we took them all away and we do them ourselves. Then we take the profit off all those sales and we give those to the bookstores. So the bookstores basically can set up a bookshop account and page in like a half an hour or or less. And then they can just start selling online and they don't have to touch a book. And the fact that they don't have to touch the books because they're all coming from the wholesaler warehouse directly to the customer's door was what made it work in the pandemic because the wholesalers kept running and the USPS kept running. So the stores were able to fulfill um, orders. So it's basically like looking at all the things that make it hard for small bookstores saying, we're going to take all that on ourselves. And then customers get just as easy as shopping as Amazon, but you're doing something virtuous. And I do believe most people will do the virtuous thing if it's just as easy as the non-virtuous thing. If it's harder and frustrating, then I think you lose a lot of people. But if like recycling is just as easy, if shopping local is just as easy, if using clean energy for your home is just as easy, a lot of people will make like socially conscious choices. And that's what we proved. And, and that's why Bookshop is a success. It's fantastic. I love that. And and you're right. You know, it's it's that I think it's something folks might not have been thinking about. But now that there is an option, you're right. It's so important to have options as readers to where we can get this. Obviously, bookstores do so much more for the communities. I mean, they can host author events. They're, you know, just there's just a myriad of things. And you want those, if you want those things to stay in your community, you've got to put some of your dollars there. But also I love that you've made it now easy for us, right? Because not everybody has a bookshop close to them and you don't need to have a local one. You can support in your in bookshop any bookshop that you want to. You don't it doesn't have to be your local. Yeah, no, it's super fun. You can actually browse the map and support a store in Hawaii one day yeah. and then go to like the furthest region of Alaska and find like the store that's out there completely remote and choose them and have them receive the profit of your order. Or if you don't choose any bookstore at all, the profit goes into a profit sharing pool, which is shared among all 1,920 stores that are on our platform. 1,920 now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's 80% of the bookstores in the American Bookseller Association are now on Bookshop. Amazing. That's awesome. Um, you just mentioned something I really love about Bookshop, which is the map and um, exploring different bookstores across the country. Can you share any other features that you think set bookshop.org apart from Amazon and Barnes and Noble? Yeah. Well, number one is it's all human curated. There's no algorithms. It's great because, well, first of all, I don't have to bother writing an algorithm. So that helps. <laughs> um, but also, why do you buy a book? Like I buy a book because I listen to like a podcast like yours and somebody makes me excited about it or Oprah makes me excited about it or my mm -hmm. mom makes me excited about it or a teacher or a friend will tell me about a book. 
but I buy books because human beings that I respect and like are telling me that a book is great and not because an algorithm is telling me a book is great or an advertisement, a paid ad is telling me a book is great, right? It's, it's the human endorsements. And that's what all bookshop recommendations are, human endorsements. We have literally tens of thousands of book recommendations from individual booksellers in stores all over the country who create lists like my favorite YA dystopian sci-fi romance, dark comedies, like every weird niche for readers, somebody's created a list for it. And so it's people who are passionate about whatever books they love, making lists of their favorite books, making recommendations. And if you browse Bookshop's homepage, it'll be like some bookstore in Minnesota. And then it'll be like Pan America, which is an organization that fights for free speech all over the world. And then it'll be a literary magazine like the Paris Review or maybe the Atlantic or the New Yorker or, or NPR just put a big list of the books that they loved in 2023. And then it'll be some tiny little bookstore on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., who is curates like their favorite children's books. So who are all those different groups? Well, they're bookstores and they're other organizations that are part of the fabric of the literary world. And so they're all participating, right? So it's it's a community of micro communities. It's like Penn America has their own community and they bring some of that community to Bookshop. And Bookshop overall is just a thriving hub of all these different players in the literary world, whether it's a book publisher or a librarian or a literary magazine or a literary nonprofit, they're all on there and they're all curating book lists, making recommendations. And so it's, it's got a completely different feel than going to Amazon, which is basically just a store. And we're going to be doing more to, you know, add more features to make it feel even more like you're part of a community there. You know, that's what is exciting about building Bookshop is that it is software. We can make it better. We can add new things. And so we're going to be doubling down on, on all the human parts of book selling experience. Not to re- try to replace, you can't replace the feeling of going into a local bookstore, but you can try to convey as much of that kind of personality and warmth and careful intention when you bring it online. I know that so many listeners and myself included, you are speaking our love language when you say book lists. Yeah. And I'm looking up ours right now, Renee, and gosh, what you said about it is, I want my recommendations from humans. I don't want it from an algorithm. That's who I listen to, people I respect and I understand their 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 choices. And that is one of my favorite features of the website is having access to all of these recommendation lists. You alluded to some of the changes or some of the updates. Is there anything, you know, coming next for Bookshop that you can share? Yeah, well, the big one is we're going into ebooks. Right now, if you're a customer that loves shopping at local bookstores and you want to buy an ebook, you, there's really no way you can buy an ebook and support your local bookstore. Similarly, if you're a local bookstore and you want to sell a customer an ebook, there's no way you can do that either. Yet ebooks are 20% of book sales. So that's a huge market that independent local bookstores are completely cut out of, that Amazon has totally dominated. You know, And I think in the beginning, bookstores were afraid of ebooks because there was a fear that people would just start reading ebooks and people stop reading physical books. That hasn't happened. Like ebooks grew up a lot. And then about 10 years ago, they just kind of settled into this range of about 20% of the market. They're not really growing. They're not really shrinking. But there are times when people, like some people prefer to read ebooks 
for like accessibility reasons. Sometimes they prefer to read ebooks because they don't have a lot of room. They like to travel. And sometimes you just need to buy an ebook because it's like your book club is discussing a book in two days and you forgot to buy it. And you like, it's the only way you can get it and read it right away. Or like Prince Harry or Britney Spears's book came out and you want to read it today. You don't want to yeah. <laughs> wait. So having some way that people can buy ebooks and support their local stores, I think is going to be a, a game changer. And it's another way for us. I want to be able to compete with Amazon on everything that they do. So they have ebooks. We should have ebooks. Like, I don't know. Some people don't know this, but Amazon owns Goodreads. Mm-hmm. And so like, I want to have an independent community, more features that kind of give people community that's built around local bookstores and, and that's independent of any of the big digital monopolies for book discussions and things like that. So building out community features and partnering with sites like I love Storygraph, I love bookclubs.com, partnering more with them to work with their communities is something that I want to do. And yeah, bringing in eBooks and, and then more. I'm buzzing. That's so exciting. <laughs> that is so exciting. We both we love the Storygraph too. Yeah, not only ebooks. We like our ebooks too, or we like to read on our Kindles. But the possibility of community that that's exciting. And there's a market for that because we are over by and large. I think Goodreads leaves a lot to be desired. Absolutely. Yeah, that scan like the Goodreads scandals are fun to read about but also <laughs> horrifying yeah i don't know if you're familiar with the most recent one the, of, yes uh, the author review bombing all mm-hmm. of the uh, competing books that are being released at the same time as her book was being released but that's the thing about goodreads is it's uh, it hasn't grown or changed much in the past 15 years and it's become a kind of a toxic environment i think that there, there's still a lot of people who like using it and get something out of it but it's not a good place for authors and it's not very it's not a very healthy place. And I think it's about time that um it was that people moved on for it from it into something better and hopefully something that's a little that can be more positive and that isn't as easily gamed and manipulated. Like that's another problem with Amazon is like the reviews are always manipulated on Amazon and the reviews on Goodreads are always manipulated. And anybody can create like a hundred fake accounts and just start like doing fake positive or negative reviews. It's a huge problem and it makes the whole discourse in those places inauthentic and questionable. So I think there's a lot of room to improve on it. And I would love to build some of that into Bookshop. We would love to see it. Does that mean you're you're working on that, Andy? Or uh, we can look forward yeah, to that we, someday? <laughs> we have a roadmap of things that we want to build, which is like way too long considering how small our team is. Like, when I said 80% of our profits go to bookstores, it does mean that like we have to do a lot with just a few people. So sometimes we can't build as many features as fast as we want to. Our plan, you know, we'll start with reviews. And then I want to be able to have authors have conversations on the site. Like right now, a lot of authors go to Reddit and have like super interesting ask me anything conversations. Like I would love to have stuff like that going on in bookshop, that sort of thing. Oh, that would be awesome. Yes. Exciting. Good. Okay. Before we segue into to books, you've shared so much. I am I'm I'm so excited about all these plans and I feel like you you've given our listeners a really good idea 
and thoughts about why bookshop.org is so important. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that you say and let people know that you haven't already said? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's really important that people use word of mouth. Like if you post about a book on social media, put a bookshop link in there because again, we're a very small team and we don't have a lot of resources. We don't have money to spend on digital marketing budgets. Like a lot of the places we compete with are companies that have literally billions of dollars in marketing budgets that are tens of millions of dollars. And bookshop.org has a marketing budget of like a few hundred thousand dollars and that goes fast. So we really rely on people who get excited about Bookshop to kind of carry the torch. Buy Bookshop gift cards for people as gifts. It's a great way of letting people know about Bookshop but at the same time giving them something. Um, create your own bookshop page. Anybody can. You can sign up to be an affiliate and you can create your own bookshop store very easily. So if you're somebody who's passionate about cookbooks, if you're somebody who's passionate about home repair, if you're remodeling your house, if you love interior design, no matter what your, if you love um, YA, no matter what your passion is, you can curate your own bookshop shop. You can share it with friends. You can post it. um, You can email it to people. And if we like it, we might feature it or feature one of your lists. So it's like really interactive. It's like social e-commerce and everybody can have a spot there. That's wonderful. People could easily create their own page, put in their books and create a wish list, a gift list to send to family members for birthdays and holidays. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I know Tina and I are, are definitely two people that I know my family often says, I can't buy you books because you've read everything, but I haven't read everything. I would, and this is a great idea. I can make a, a list and on bookshop and send it to them. Yeah, for sure. We have registries. Um, next, one of the things we're going to do next year is make them even, even better and fancier. We want them to be better than Amazon uh, wish lists and registries. Right now, people use them personally. They use them for schools. If you're a PTA, you can use a bookshop wish list for a classroom library. Sometimes people use bookshop pages for um, school book fairs. So it's it's very flexible and there's a million different ways to do it. It's it's really important like to not take for granted how vital bookshops are to communities. You know, there have been interesting studies that show that having a bookstore in a downtown raises the property values and the amount of activity downtown significantly, like people love a downtown with a bookstore. They're fairly important. They're also going to increase the literacy rate of that school, of that of that community. It's going to give kids, like more kids are going to become readers because they're going to be loving to like just walking by that store on the way home from school and checking out books. They can't take them for granted. And I'm afraid that people were taking them for granted because it's so easy to buy a book on Amazon on and have it shipped to your home. But what's going to happen if everybody just buys their books on Amazon is that all those stores are going to disappear. And what's going to happen when all those stores disappear? Well, fewer people are going to read books because they're not going to be visible parts of our culture and our communities in the same way. Hopefully we'll still have libraries, but bookstores and libraries work hand in hand to promote literacy and promote love of reading and connect people with books. So It will have a domino effect if we let 
bookstores go away. And the end of that domino chain is going to be books just aren't being read nearly as widely. Books aren't as an important part of our culture. And that's really dangerous because books are so valuable. They've done so much to just bring humanity forward and help our consciousness and our morality and our empathy and our understanding of ourselves and others get better and help ideas that have changed the world. Like every idea that's changed the world has had a book. And so we can't afford to let books kind of fall to the wayside and be replaced just by, you know, short videos or pictures on phones. Like we need people who are fighting for books in our culture. And so it doesn't take much. And bookshop is just as easy to shop on bookshop as on Amazon. The books are only a little bit more expensive most of the time, but you can keep your bookstores strong in the community. And I think like bookshop is so much more that we want to do. We've accomplished more than anybody thought we could, honestly, including me. I thought we were going to be successful, but we're bigger than I had anticipated. Um, But we still need to be like five times the size as we are now to really make the kind of massive difference that I want to make. We're on your side. We're going to do it. You know, we're going to do our best. Gosh, that's so well said. And that's part of exactly why we love reading and why we do what we do. I mean, we do this out of love. We, We do it for the love of books and we love promoting authors and, you know, everything related to books, including where we buy them. Yeah. I mean, you guys are keeping the flame alive for sure. (laughs) So you're obviously a reader. What kind of books do you tend to read? I read mostly literary fiction and nonfiction. When I was a kid, I was a total fiction reader. As I've gotten older, I started to read a little bit more like history and also popular science. I'm super interested in science, Any, any subject that I find interesting or like also some of the smarter pop psychology books like Charles Duhigg's Power of Habit, things like that I can glean from or business books. But my heart still lies with literary fiction for sure. And like the half-finished novels in my drawer are all literary fiction. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, someday we're going to see one of those. I just, I just know it. You know, once you get this to where you want it to go, then your own book can be over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, good. Let's get into book recommendations, if that's okay with you. Andy, what's your first book that you want to talk about? Well, my first book is a book called The Librarianist by an author named Patrick DeWitt, who is an amazingly entertaining author. His book, his probably most popular book was The Sisters Brothers. That book was made into a movie with Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley, and it's a Western, and it's hilarious and dramatic and incredibly well-structured. I absolutely love that book. I had actually known that author, like when he and I were in Los Angeles together and in our 20s, he was writing record reviews for the little magazine I was putting out. So he was doing music reviews. He was working as a bartender and I was the editor-in-chief of this small magazine and we knew each other and we knew we both wanted to write. So we used to go to this old Hollywood hotel that had a sauna and gym in the basement that was from the 20s. So it was like this beautiful old Art Deco tile. And very strange romance to that place. And we used to sit in the sauna and like exchange story notes and things like that. So I have an old history with Patrick DeWitt and I am definitely biased in his favor. But um, The Librarianist is a much quieter book than The Sisters Brothers. It's pretty much just as funny, but the, the humor is subtle and it's more charm than laugh out loud. And it's, it's about a guy who's basically lived a quiet life. 
He loved books. He became a librarian because he loved books. He dedicated his life to like this kind of quiet way of living, except for this dramatic period of time where he fell in love, got married, and then had his wife stolen from him by his best friend. The book opens when he's he's older and starts volunteering at an elderly home just because he he runs into an elderly woman having a breakdown in a convenience store. She doesn't know where she came from or where she is. She's just frozen, standing still, and he figures out because of her name tag where she came from and takes her back to this facility. And then he kind of falls into the rhythm of that facility and starts volunteering and then they start, he, the author flashes back to like his life in his 20s when he fell in love and the different other key points of his life. And then it brings it back to the old folks home where something really relevatory happens that I'm not going to spoil. It's just a really entertaining and really enjoyable read. It's a change of pace for, for the author because it's it's a little slower, it's more reflective, but it's just as charming as everything he's ever written. Great recommendation. The Librarianist by Patrick DeWitt. Our listeners love, and we do too, love books about libraries, love books about, just books about books. (laughs) So this sounds like something I think some of our listeners might pick up. I'll go next. My first book is A Very Inconvenient Scandal by Jacqueline Mitchard. And this one is about Frankie Attleboro, who returns home to Cape Cod with thrilling news. She's met the love of her life, they're getting married, and they're having a baby. And her news is a bit shadowed by the fact that her talented, charismatic father ends up having his own announcement. He's also getting married, and he just so happens to be getting married to Frankie's best friend, Ariel, who is also pregnant and due soon. So in an instant, he upends Frankie's life, And his choices will have a profound implication for her family and her unborn child. And I'm going to leave it there because there is a lot that happens in this story. Lots of drama. And I do love a messy family drama. There is a lot going on with side characters and other family members in this story, specifically Frankie's brother, Ariel, and Ariel's mother, This story delivered on the family drama front with the addition of complicated relationship dynamics too, um, friendship dynamics. What do you do when your best friend marries your father and you had no idea? I found the pacing to be quick up until about the 60th percentage mark or so. And then I felt like it slowed down. I struggled to really stay engaged But I did want to know how it would all turn out because there is an added mysterious element to the story. Unfortunately, I did end up figuring out pretty early on what that was, but I enjoyed the story, although I found it to be a bit predictable. I wish I would have liked Frankie a little bit more because she is such an integral character. But overall, I liked it. I think it was a bit of a middle-of-the-road read for me, but I definitely will continue to read this author in the future. It is A Very Inconvenient Scandal by Jacqueline Mitchard. Wait a minute. This is really odd because my first book is Alice Sadie Celine by Sarah Blakely Cartwright, and it's also about a woman whose best friend gets into a relationship with her mother. 
So odd, like, strange connection there. Interesting. Yeah. So Alice, Sadie, Celine, it's, again, about a mother, a daughter, and her daughter's best friend. And it opens with the friend Alice starring in a play. She invites her best friend, and her best friend is off on this weekend with her boyfriend. She can't go. So she's like, all right, let me send my mom in my place. Her mom is this notorious professor of women and gender studies at UC Berkeley. And she's kind of struggling with writer's block. And she's like, whatever, fine. I'll go to this play and just show up, show my face. But when she goes, she ends up being entranced by her daughter's best friend's performance. And the two ultimately become romantically involved. And I liked a lot about this. It's literary fiction. I liked the idea of the same-sex May-December romance. I thought that was really intriguing. And the added layer of it being her best friend's mom sold me. And I really did enjoy the parts where we were in the moment with the women because it alternates between all three points of view. And I'm like, oh my God, this girl's going to panic. <laughs> How's this going to end up? Like, what would you do, right? And I kept reading to see. I'm like, there's got to be, a, where's the climax? What's going to happen here? How is this all going to come crumbling down? I got a little bit lost in some of the writing, some of the feminist prose. It doesn't tend to be reading that I gravitate toward. But I will say that audiobook narrator was standout. She was excellent. It's Chloe Sevigny. She's an actress. And she was fantastic for this part. She narrated it so, so well. And I think if you like queer books, feminist books that do lean a bit more literary, this could be a good fit for you. I I still did enjoy it. This was Alice Sadie Celine by Sarah Blakely Cartwright. It's so many names. <laughs> She's got three. <laughs> like, let me, let me make sure I get them correct. But yeah, fun little connection that we have to our books. Andy, what's what's your next book? Uh, my next one is The Maniac by Benjamin Labatut. And this is a book about somebody that some people have said the smartest man who ever lived, um, John von Neumann, who was a mathematician and physicist who was a peer and contemporary of Oppenheimer and Einstein. And this book, even though it was written, obviously, over the past few years, and it just came out this year, but is extremely prescient because it deals with uh, not only the Manhattan Project, and of course it was the summer of Oppenheimer this year, but also it deals with the birth of AI because von Neumann is the father of artificial intelligence. And a lot of his early ideas about computers and how AI could self-replicate and exist really are the building blocks that the ideas that we have today are grounded in. So he was like a total pioneering trailblazer. He was also a Jewish man who had to flee the Nazis, became you know a U.S. citizen and helped with the Manhattan Project and a lot of Department of Defense stuff fighting the Nazis. But at the same time, he was like a selfish and difficult person. He you know he had a lot of infidelity, and he was flawed, like a lot of those dudes were back then. But and what really makes this book interesting is. Labatut writes it as fiction. So even though all the characters are real and all the historical events are real, all of the dialogue and the internal lives of the characters are imagined. So, you know, he'll take what is known about these characters and their relationships, but he will animate them with an inner life that, you know, he's coming up with as an author that really brings the whole story alive. And he rotates between characters. So it'll be but Newman, and then it'll be his wife, and then it'll be somebody from the Manhattan Project, like Oppenheimer. So the whole richness and tapestry of the story is told through all these different characters and their voices and their unique perspectives. It's a smart, really smart book. It's a pretty dark book in some places. 
you get the sense for Labatet, who also wrote another book I love, which is When We Cease to Understand the World, which came out a couple of years ago, that he sort of looks at mathematicians and physicists as peeling back layers of reality until we reach something that is kind of dark and chaotic and unknowable and somewhat dangerous and, and can sort of drive people to the brink of insanity because it's so powerful and ultimately unknowable and so different from what we're used to experiencing in our lives. So for example, quantum mechanics, the way he writes about it feels like some kind of essential mystery that lives underneath all of reality that if you really are confronted with it, would completely upend your sense of what's real and what's not real. And really quantum mechanics is kind of like that, but we don't think about it in that way. But for him, the people who are discovering it at first and figuring out that the, the quantum realm operates at a completely different physics and completely different rules than the world that we live in, that that for them was like mind expanding and in some ways sort of like mind exploding. And um, so The Maniac, if, if you're into that kind of thing, is, is a really incredible book. I wouldn't call it like an easy, like, beach read, but uh, if you're interested in being challenged and finding out more about science, math, and the birth of AI and the Cold War, then say, go for it. It's a super smart book. I think this author is going to write more and be like a legendary literary figure over the next 20, 30 years. I think he's one of the most interesting young writers in the world right now. Wow. High praise. Yeah. I have, that's great review, Andy. I um, have seen the cover and the title grabbed me of that book, but I didn't know anything about it. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that. I have another family drama, kind of, <laughs> with a mystery thrown in. I don't know. It must be my mood. This one is The Good House by Anne Leary. And oh, Boy, this Hildy Good is one of my favorite characters. She's reached that dangerous time in a woman's life. She's middle-aged and divorced, and she is a bit of an oddity in her small but privileged town. But Hildy is not one for self-pity and instead meets the world with a wry smile, a dark wit, and a glass or two of Pinot Noir. When her two Earnest grown-up children decide to stage an intervention and pack Hildy off to an addiction center. She thinks all this fuss is ridiculous. After all, why can't she enjoy a drink now and then? But as the story progresses, we see another side to Hildy and to her life's greatest passion and the lies, her drinking, and the damage she causes to those she loves. And when a cluster of secrets become dangerously entwined, the reckless behavior of one person threatens to expose the other with devastating consequences. So this book really toes the line between funny and dark. There's many reasons that I love this story. Hildy was the biggest. She's funny. She's witty. She's charming. But there is an underlying sadness to her that she's not aware of, but we, the reader, know and feel. And so while getting to know her and being privy to her slow unraveling, I felt that I was watching Hildy's life like a bit like a like a slow train wreck. And it's not quite nearing the point of derailment, but I really felt the the 
tension that that's where it was headed. There is a fantastic mystery at the heart of this book that I found to be really, really surprising. Um, And although the story centers on Hildy, there is a great cast of supporting characters that will intrigue you and keep you turning the pages, I predict. And just read and stay tuned because the derailment image will show itself. (laughs) So this one was The Good House by Anne Leary. I read that one. Oh, did you? I did in 2017. Yes. I, I, I did liked you like it. it? Uh huh. I remember the, it really, really enjoying the main character. So, yeah, but, she's good. But also, funny. but also, you feel bad for her. Yes. Yes. As I recall. All right. Let me wrap things up with a very <laughs> popcorn potato chip thriller kind of book, which is oftentimes my very favorite genre. It's Dead of Winter by Darcy Coates. This ended up being one of my very favorite locked room mysteries ever. It, it just took me. It's about a group of travelers who get stranded in an abandoned hunting cabin on their way to this remote mountain vacation. So there's a tree that falls down and like everyone's like trying to figure out, okay, are we going to get stranded? What do we do? This book is so atmospheric. There's a lot of walking around lost in the snow. There's some frostbite elements. And I was genuinely cold reading it. It just took me right to the mountains with these characters. I'd call this a psychological thriller with a hint of horror because not only are the travelers fighting the elements, it becomes clear one of them is a killer. Krista is the main character, and right away she loses her boyfriend, Kiernan, in the snow. And anyway, things take off from there, and it's dark. There are a lot of twists and turns with this one. There is a great villain, and at every point in time, I swear to you, I expected each and every one of the travelers. I could not pin down who was the one doing all of this and causing all of this chaos. It's pretty gory in places, so reader be aware of that. But if you want a seasonally appropriate, intense thriller, I thought this was a great one. I gave it five stars, and I don't often do that with this sort of genre, but I loved it so much. It's Dead of Winter by Darcy Coates. Okay. We all brought some good books today. <laughs> As always. It was fun. Yes. I'm so proud we kept it right at an hour. I was getting a little nervous by the end there. I'm like, I want to, of course, be very respectful of your time, but what a pleasure this was. Sorry to cut you off, Renee. No, I was just going to say, I'm so, this was so fun. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love being on. Thanks for all the work that you do for independent bookstores. We are so grateful. Is there anything you want to leave us with or anything else you want us to know or plug? No, I think we did it. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. We did a good job. Okay. Other than bookshop.org, is there anywhere else anyone can find you? If you read Literary Hub or if you're into thrillers, you can read Crime Reads. And if you want to see book reviews, you can go to bookmarks.reviews. I'm publisher of all those websites. And I'm on Twitter as AndyHunter777, but I don't post much. Sometimes I retweet things about Bookshop, but that's I'm pretty much a lurker. So I don't have a <laughs> media presence. And we didn't even get to your websites. These are websites that we use all the time. So yes, it's amazing. Yeah, we're on Literary Hub. I use Literary Hub all the time. And Crime Reads is, we both love mysteries and thrillers. So what a treat that you're, you're, behind, you're really behind the scenes on those. Well, thank, thank you so, you so much. Yes, and I see, you. I see the chat there. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content and community, 
You can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalkets. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. By the way, a lot of people die. There's some heads on sticks. <laughs> I hope you like that kind of thing. <laughs>